This is the intersection. The intersection. This is the Intersection Podcast, recorded Thursday, the 8th of February, 2018. Episode 29. The Intersection Podcast is only made possible through the support of its listeners and sponsors. If you have a product or service that you feel may appeal to our audience, please contact sponsor at intersectioncast.com. Hello and welcome to The Intersection, the podcast that bridges together the worlds of tech and pop culture. And today we have the return of our resident film aficionado, Bronson Green. Bronson, welcome. How are you doing? Thank you. Um, I am excellent. And uh, yeah, it's been a while since our last podcast. So um, I've seen a lot of movies and, and uh, digested a lot of content since then. Uh, I guess that's the, the modern uh, parlance. And uh yeah, got got lots of opinions. Whether people want to hear them or not, <laughs> so uh, I'm sure got to, I'm sure I'm sure we'll have quite a fun time today. We will. We always do, and it's our first one together of the year. So uh, belated happy new year to you. Yep, happy 2018. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, let's get started. Have you? I mean, what what have you what have you seen recently? Is there anything that's tickled your fancy? Anything interesting or? Um, well, I, I managed. I got round to seeing a few a few movies that both of us wanted to see and we didn't uh we almost in protest we didn't go to the cinema to, to watch for example i watched the justice league got around to watching that uh, thor ragnarok um i'm actually interested to hear, hear your opinion i think i can't actually remember i think we might have messaged each other a little bit uh about justice league i, I quite enjoyed it again uh, i think people should understand that my opinion always comes from a place where I'm bound to be a bit more harsh in my criticism on a film if I've paid £15 to watch it in the cinema. Uh, but if I've managed to watch it in the comfort of my own home or someone else's home for free, effectively, then I'm usually um, a bit more lenient. But I enjoyed Justice League, although it had loads of obvious flaws. Um, oh, I, I do remember, I think I sent you a message saying I, I liked the little uh, musical... Uh, nods in the film to the previous Batman and Superman scores. And I think I remember you saying you didn't like that. No, so. that, that was completely distracting. I mean, you had little nods um, to the um, the the, uh, the famous John Williams uh, Superman theme, uh, you know, the Christopher Reeve movies, and a little nod uh, to... Um, well, the, um, the 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 Batman theme, you know, the, the 1989 Dan- Michael Keaton, because Danny Elfman doing the... Uh... <laughs> Danny Elfman did the soundtrack, didn't he, for Justice League? Is that right? Yeah. Was he brought in um, after someone else left the project? I'm not I'm not entirely sure. And this is my problem because all the other movies in that universe um, have been scored by um, Hans Zimmer. Right. And that's part of my issue with it. It's a complete mess. It doesn't fit. I mean, you've got this whole DC expanded universe. They're desperately playing catch up to Marvel and there's just no consistency at all. You can't believe that this movie, Justice League, with its sort of um, cheesy, campy Marvel-esque humour, which Marvel does a lot better, by the way. It's trying so hard to imitate what Marvel have set with, uh, you know, the Avengers movies, Iron Man, etc. 
and um, all the wisecracks and all that coming from Batman, like he's Tony Stark or something. Um, it, it's so out of place when you watch something which is sort of semi-serious um, in tone, like uh, Batman versus Superman. Or if you want to go for something that is grounded in a little bit more, as much realism as a comic book movie could be grounded in, like like Man of Steel, it doesn't feel like it belongs. It's completely out of place. And it's a bit of a schizophrenic movie, I think. Um, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from. I think there's a couple of reasons why the film's a bit compromised. One of them, obviously, the really, really sad situation that Zack Snyder Zack Snyder found himself in. I think his, his daughter might have passed away, actually. Yeah, I mean... It, the film. And obviously, your heart bleeds for anyone when you hear something like that. Um, but it, it, that obviously had an effect on the film. And then I think they brought in Joss Whedon, didn't they? They did, and, yeah. Um, and you're right. It almost seems like the, the people at Warner Brothers, they're just looking at Marvel's numbers and they're thinking, I want some of that. So let's follow the Marvel formula as much as possible. And you're right. That's probably... A bad move because the irony is a lot of people didn't like Batman Superman because of how kind of dark and moody it was but I I had certain reservations but when I watched that film eventually uh, the I think it's the ultimate edition I, I really liked it again probably because I had the opportunity to watch it where I hadn't paid you know 15 20 pounds for it but I watched it and I liked it enough to watch it more than once and I thought it's almost a bit of an antidote to the Marvel movies. They're, they're going in a slightly more grounded, uh, hard, um, hard-boiled kind of direction. So yes, for them to then completely go schizoid the way you're describing, I understand that it does come across as um, they're, like they're trying to jump on a bandwagon, and, and 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 then there's just some obvious flaws, like the big bad guy is just not distinguishable enough from other. Oh, big Ste- Steppenwolf, totally contrived villain. Totally, yeah, absolutely, and then and we haven't even mentioned the the poor job they did on airbrushing uh, Henry Cavill's moustache. It, it did look very strange in certain shots. His his face, but um, I, I certainly didn't dislike the film. I didn't take as much exception to it as you have, um, and and I was so actually buzzed off the back of it that uh, I borrowed some DC feature length animated uh, movies off a friend of mine who, who's got the, all of them. On, on Blu-ray, and I, I borrowed um, a few of those and watched those. Um, some of them are quite a few years old now. Um, I, think, I think they've all been made over the last sort of seven, eight, nine, ten years, and, and, and they're very, very good, actually, a couple of them. Um, so, I, yeah, I guess that's one where, where we're going to have to maybe agree to disagree a little bit, because I liked it. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously we're late to the party discussing this, and, and I, I got dragged to the cinema to see it, because my son wanted to see it, and, you know, part of me was looking forward to it, although I knew it would be a disaster. I just knew, but part of me was thinking, oh, I'll give it a chance. And um, the, the issue I had was they're playing catch-up, uh, to Marvel, um, they're so desperately playing catch up to what Marvel has established. They they, they expand the universe over number of years with several movies. I mean, each of the main characters in the Marvel universe have had a trilogy, I think, at this point, uh, most of them anyway. Um, that it wouldn't work. That you're going to sort of shoehorn all these um, these heroes together. I mean, we've we've been introduced to Wonder Woman, and obviously we know Superman, we know Batman. Um, but the others, um, Aquaman is one that I didn't think would work with audiences. And then you've got, um, who's the other guy? Um, Cyborg. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I, you're shoehorning all these together and, and, and they haven't been introduced in their own right. And um, I, I, that was my biggest fear. That would just be a complete mess. Ironically enough, 
there was actually good chemistry between the characters. That wasn't the problem with the movie. They actually got away with it. I felt there were some good moments, some good moments of camaraderie uh, between the characters. You know, I felt um, uh, I, I totally sort of appreciate the chemistry and, and, and sort of the quips back and forth between Aquaman and, 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 and Cyborg and, and all that stuff. And it worked for me, surprisingly. But it fell apart because it was just a bad movie. And you mentioned you liked um, uh, Batman vs Superman Extended Cut, and I, I I enjoyed that too. But that that again is is another example of something that feels like a completely different movie to the theatrical version. And um, I mean, the theatrical version was there was all sorts of pacing problems, and and it was just and it seemed like plot holes because you can tell it was butchered to pieces just to keep bits you know it's run it's running time within a a length that that Warner Brothers were happy with. Um, but I feel like the Justice League suffers from the same problem, and I and I do wonder if there's a better cut out there. The thing's been released on Blu-ray. There hasn't been a better cut, and I think that's because of what's gone on um, with uh, uh, Zack Snyder's involvement in, in the movie. I think if if he if that tragedy didn't happen and and he saw it through, then we might have had a, a proper um, extended version released. You can certainly tell um, where uh, Josh Whedon's in influences because it's those kind of Marvel-esque moments. And I just didn't enjoy it. I just thought it was a completely wasted opportunity. And this is the big thing that they were built, they were, they were working towards, and they've blown it. Complete anticlimax. Steppenwolf, I don't care. There was references to Dark Side. How the hell are they going to pull off Dark Side? I don't know on screen. Um, Henry Cavill was, it's always good to see Superman. I mean, one good thing about it was it seemed like he was having fun playing Superman in this one. You know, when Superman yeah, came back. Yeah, more cheery, wasn't he? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and that was nice to see Superman smiling. The CG, the CG uh, to erase his moustache, which he grew for, what was he growing at? What was they growing at Mustache Ball? Mission was Impossible Five. Was it Mission Impossible Five? Yeah. So um, I think it was a case of um, the studio being stubborn, saying, "Look, it's, you, you know, we need his moustache for that movie. We're not happy for you to shave it off." And I think um, Warner Brothers did some sort of um, proof of concept using CG to show you can CG his moustache back on, and um, we'd even pay for it. But they were saying, "No, no way." So they had to do the reverse. They had to CG the moustache off, and it was completely distracting. It didn't look like him in, in many shots. And and the irony is that was the first shot of the movie. It was a medium to close shot of him standing there talking to a camera. And it just kind of threw you out, threw you off completely. It's like, yeah. even my son turns to me and goes, what's wrong with his face? <laughs> that's, um, that's a good point. I, yeah, there's obviously no love lost between Paramount and Warner Brothers. Um, and uh, I'm just... It, my mind boggles that the uh, CGI technicians, uh, the magicians, couldn't do a better job than that. I don't know if they were constrained for time, um, but you would have thought in this day and age where they can almost recreate, you know, uh, Peter Cushing or Sean Young in in other movies we've discussed, why they can't um, execute something as rudimentary as as hiding facial hair on, on a character. Uh, or on an actor where they've got a live action performance from somebody. Um, so it surprised me just how badly they, they messed it up. But, you know, look, in defense of the film, I've got a feeling at some point we probably will see a, an extended cut. I hope we do. I hear rumors that the cyborg character had a lot more screen time and they were almost using the, the Justice League movie to, to introduce him, probably because they think he's too weak to have his own standalone movie that would 
do any kind of significant business at a box office. Um, I don't know why Lex Luthor wasn't in it, even though, you know, maybe maybe a little bit would have been... Well, he was, wasn't he? Wasn't he in the... Um... Well, he wasn't. He wasn't. He was in the um, uh, the end credit scene, wasn't he? Well, uh, no. I mean, in the actual film, to maybe be a small oh, yeah, yeah, subplot yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Um, maybe but, he was. Maybe they've just cut it all out. I mean, I suspect they did shoot some scenes with him. Yeah. Do you know what? It sounds like um, you you've probably been offended more by the shortcomings of the film. But I think I think I actually enjoyed it, and and you didn't enjoy it at all. So. Um, yeah, we we probably come from a different place probably when we're watching that film. Um, Who's the best hero for you out of all of them in the movie? Who do you enjoy the most? Well, who did I enjoy the most, or who do I? Who's my favourite superhero out, out no, of the just? No, 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 that's that's a different question entirely because I don't think this movie did any of those um, I- iconic uh, comic book characters any any justice. Haha. But in terms of in the movie itself, which came um, up on top mm-hmm. for you? I don't think anyone uh, was head and shoulders above any others, but I kind of enjoyed all of them, except probably Aquaman, because even though the guy who played him wasn't bad and a few of the jokes were funny, mm. he just didn't feel substantial enough. And um, I just don't think he's a strong enough character in terms of the iconography and everything and his powers um so he was probably the one i attached myself least to i kind of enjoyed wonder woman batman and superman i'm always going to like and the flash he's the comic relief um which is disappointing i'd prefer him to be a bit more maybe a bit older a bit more powerful a bit more dynamic um because i certainly didn't show um all of his uh the full gamut of his abilities um but there was a nice little joke at the end there when he's about to have a race with superman and yeah, I mean, that's straight from the comics. They've done that a couple of times. Um, and that was nice. And The Flash was, he was okay in moderation. I mean, he was kind of annoying, the kind of goofball, nerdy humor. Um, the best one for me was definitely Wonder Woman, head, head and shoulders above everyone else. And I'm not saying that for obvious reasons, being a man, but she um, she was the best one, I think. Okay, no, good. And, and she... And I enjoyed her in this more than I enjoyed her in her solo movie, by the way. Yeah, I I can't really disagree, or, or I, I can completely understand why you say that because um, she she's been a success. The actress, the way they've handled the character, um, yeah, uh, it's been a pleasant surprise to see that they didn't sort of screw screw that one up. Yeah, yeah. But but I mean, we we've mentioned Marvel quite a lot there. The other one that I uh, saw a few weeks ago was uh, Thor Ragnarok, and again. Um, I think, as I've said before on this podcast, I tend to see the Marvel movies almost like some kind of miniseries, mm-hmm. but it's not miniseries anymore. It's, it's quite a long series, I suppose. But I almost look at it as each film's a two-hour episode in a series. Yeah. And when you enjoy those movies like that, it's it's a lot easier to enjoy them, and you, you don't feel so kind of severe. You, you don't feel like being quite so severe in any criticism that you have of those films. And again, also, I didn't have to pay 15 20 pounds to watch it at the cinema uh, somebody that i knew had a copy of it i don't know how because i'm not sure if it's been released on blu-ray yet um but i was at his house i was like okay i'll, I'll sit down and watch this and um yeah it was it was okay it wasn't a complete retread of planet hulk um they were having a bit more fun than what they've had in the previous 
Thor films. Yeah, um, definitely most enjoyable out, 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 out of the Thor movies, I think. Yeah, didn't have any stilted performance from Natalie Portman in there. Um, and uh, it was... It, it, it took one or two surprising twists and turns here and there, and then obviously right at the end, spoiler alert, Asgard gets destroyed, and I didn't see that coming. So, um, again, an enjoyable experience, but temper my comments with the fact that I didn't have to sort of go to the cinema and pay through the nose to watch it. But is that another one where you got dragged to the cinema with your with your kids, or did you watch that on the small screen? No, I, I caught that on the small screen. Um, and it's one that I wanted to see, but just life got in the way. didn't have time to go and see it. And I think it is... It's everything that Justice League is not. I think it was a hoot. I think it was great fun from beginning to end. It's not um, an amazing movie. It's not a work of art. No, but it's really enjoyable. Good fun. Good humor. A proper comic book movie. I, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed it from beginning to end. Uh, and the cameos are funny from you, like your Jeff Goldblum's and yeah. people like that. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And you know what? You can make the same arguments as I made against Justice League. Oh, well, a sort of a contrived um, villain. But she wasn't that contrived. I'm talking about Kate Blanchett, um, obviously, playing um, Thor and Loki's um, sister or whatever. Um, she wasn't exactly massively original. But, yeah, the fact that she's their sister and also the fact that it's Kate Blanchett, and I don't think that woman's capable of giving a bad performance you know, I've never seen her be less than excellent, really, mm. um, in anything. So it was, she was a bit more than a, a stock villain. And also, I think that film, it just had so much style as well with the soundtrack. And, and even right down to the intertextuality of the, the title and the promotional campaign. And, and, and even, you know, when you watch the film, it's got that 80s vibe um, uh, with with the way the, the font for the title looks and all that. And just they seem to get us so many decisions right marvel when they make these movies and you know they're a little bit fluffy and inconsequential and um you know it's not a film which i'd rush to put on and watch again anytime soon but they do make a lot of the right decisions and for two hours you sit there and you're entertained aren't you and and that's um they always seem to pull that off i think the only marvel movie where i was seriously disappointed was doctor strange i think all the rest i've been i mean some of them like ant-man i was really pleasantly surprised because because i wasn't expecting a lot from that film so um that you know credit where it's due you know we we've been we can be quite severe in our in our criticisms on films on this podcast and uh, albeit that's be only because we care so much but uh credit where it's due credit to marvel absolutely and then funny you mentioned dr strange i i who has a cameo in this film by the way i um I enjoyed Doctor Strange. I, I I didn't think I would like it, and it was on TV or something, um, and I just kind of watched it. And I just kept watching it, and I, I thought it was okay, actually. And but for uh, Ragnarok, I think you know it was great fun. It's a comic book movie done done right. Um, totally humiliated uh, Justice League. I think they were released around about the same time. Am I right about that? I think I am. Yeah, possibly um, within just a few weeks of each other. Yeah. Um, newcomers um tessa thompson she was good in it um I, I you know i enjoyed her character i and jeff golden was 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 was, was good it was good fun um now hulk <laughs> mark ruffalo's bruce banner um a little bit on the goofy side what do you think he, of that yeah he was a little bit too cuddly 
probably he needs he needed to be probably a little bit moodier. Um, I like the fact that he talks a bit more, but mm-hmm. a, a little bit too prone to being pushed around, a little bit too cuddly, and it would have been nice to see him in action a little bit more than what we did. Um, but no you, mean, master- you mean you mean as a Hulk or? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, I can't, I can't, maybe a little bit disappointed because Hulk's probably a bigger favorite of mine than any of the other Marvel characters, actually. Um, I mean, I think I'm the only person on this planet that liked the Ang Lee Hulk movie, which everyone seems oh, to hate. Gosh. Um, but, um, yeah, no, no complaints. No complaints. He, he's got some good moments, got some funny dialogue. I think he's got my favorite line from the film where he's, where he's, he's going to go into battle with the, the big bad at the end who's destroying Asgard mm. and, they, and they tell him don't stop. And, and he says something really funny, doesn't he? He's, he says, but monster bad Hulk smash, <laughs> something like that. And yeah. then they go, Oh Hulk. No, not this time. That, that was my favorite line from the film. <laughs> I did enjoy the Hulk. I did. Um, and yeah, you know, it is, it's a lot more sort of lighthearted, this Thor movie, much more than the other two. Um, and I think you and I had an, a conversation offline and you said the humor was, mu- was, was more akin to guardians of the galaxy. Um, you said something like that. Is that right? Or Yeah, that's certainly the feeling I got kind of like a galaxy trotting kind of crack wising sci-fi adventure, which is basically what guardians of the galaxy is. Um, well actually if I'm to be completely honest, the first guardians of the galaxy is, is just basically a remake of uh, a new hope. But I'm not going to get into that right now. Um, just as Kingsman um, is also a remake of A New Hope, but again, that's for another. Podcast. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it's got the. I don't know if Marvel movies generally go through phases where is it Kevin Feig? Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Uh, where he maybe is dictating from the background. That let's, let's let's make them a little bit lighter in tone now. Although I think that's about to change, isn't it, with Black Panther? From what I hear, that movie's a little bit more serious. Yeah, I'm going to a screening of that actually um, next weekend. So I'll let you know what I think of that one. But um, no, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's funny because everything's sort of heading towards this next big Avengers movie. So the big sort of climax in terms of all of this extended Marvel universe or what have you. Um, and um, it's actually Thor. Who's, who's to run into the Guardians of the Galaxy, funnily enough, which kind of brings them to Earth and I guess involved in this big big sort of conflict that's going to take place. Right, is that because... Um, yeah, well, you, you see a little bit of that in the trailer, don't you? Okay, yeah, it'll be interesting to, to see how that develops. I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed that, you know, Fantastic Four and the Silver Surfer aren't going to be in uh, Infinity Wars. But, um, yeah, it, it's obviously all geared towards... Infinity Wars, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, they're going to be over two films or three? Uh, two, I believe. Right, okay. Oh, do you know what? Another thing is, which is worth mentioning, um, I was um, I was on the tube the other day, just on my way to work. I saw a poster on the wall, for I think for a computer game, called called Monster World. You might be able to correct me if I'm wrong. Mm, not sure. I, I, I don't think it was an online game. I think it was um, for like the, the PlayStation or something. Okay. And it's uh, it sounds like I've taken a segue, but I haven't. Just just bear with me. So um, I think it's called Monster World or something like that. I'm sure, I'm sure the listeners will, who are who are gamers will know what I'm talking about. Is it, the, is it Monster Hunter? 
I think it might be that. Maybe it's, it, ah yes, just Google it. Monster Hunter World because Monster Hunter is a series. But yeah, right, yeah. right. Okay, that that sounds like like the one. Yeah, and on the poster, there's a creature which looks like a lizard but has kind of a blue plumage of some kind. Yeah. And well, in short, it's a it's a ripoff of uh, the boga, which is the uh, the creature that Kenobi is riding in Revenge of the Sith. And um, it's a total ripoff of, of that oh, creature. Yeah, so it is. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, and when I'm when I'm watching Guardians of the Galaxy and and Thor Ragnarok, you can't help but notice just how much they owe from a design point of view to the Star Wars prequels. And I was just thinking about this the other day, and and, and I think I think it's obvious that when uh, Cameron made Avatar, and, and we 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 can almost infer this from what we've heard him say about the prequels, because I think he liked them. Mm. From a design point of view, at least, I think the Star Wars prequels have had a massive influence on um, animators and designers and, and C- CG artists over the years. And you kind of see it everywhere when you watch movies and you, you see computer games and even when you see adverts and things like that. And um, this is this is just something I wanted to mention because, again, regular listeners will know the prequels are much maligned by quite a vocal. Yeah, they get no respect, but they deserve respect. Absolutely. But, they deserve a hell of a lot of respect. I mean, we're, we're both fans. And, um, yeah, that it, it's funny how people don't seem to give the prequels their dues because it, 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 they're almost uh, – the influence of them is around us all the time uh, when you – when you in most media. So, uh, yeah, I just, just wanted to mention that because there's no doubt about it. You look at something like Guardians of the Galaxy and, and what have you, they, they owe a lot really to, to um, a lot of what Lucas was doing in the prequels. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, one, I mean, you know what? I think things are changing in terms of the respect or the prequels deserve um, or, or get receive. I think now people are getting a little bit frustrated with these new Star Wars movies and the lack of imagination and the lack of authenticity, I would say. And um, we'll go on about that later on. Um, we'll go about Star Wars later on, but um I well, think, maybe, maybe as I think, as you've pointed out quite um, insightfully in the past, maybe the people who really loved those movies, who were kids at the time when they came out, they're now in their twenties, and and um, maybe from now, moving on, moving forward, we'll we'll hear their opinions, and, and they'll probably say, look, you know, when I was growing up, my favourite film was The Phantom Menace, which, which I'm still convinced is a classic, you know, and, and and I'd be happy to sit down and write one of those BFI guides you know you get those guides uh, which which are produced by the british film institute i think there was one for for heat there was one for chinatown yeah one for, for unforgiven i think there's probably loads by now um i could probably write one you know for the phantom menace but yes yeah, still i think people most people of our generation um have, have dismissed them but so uh, maybe that's maybe that's gonna change well most people our generation just want a new hope again and again and again and again and we'll talk about this later on when, when we'll talk we'll mention the solo trailer but i think they're getting exactly what they want but before we do that um so have you been watching star trek discovery still uh yeah yeah i actually watched the latest episode yesterday because it returned to our screens didn't it? it had a little bit of a break returned to our screens in the new year and um essentially the, the the crew of the discovery was stuck in the mirror universe and it's just been one twist and turn after another ever since the show came back it, it, it's literally like uh 
you know, an M Night Shyamalan production where you know you're you're trying to predict what the latest twist is going to be. And so, what have we got? We've had the um, uh, the Doctor Colber murdered by Tyler Ash Tyler, who 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 is you know who was a cling the Klingon Vok in in disguise, which I think I predicted. I'm pretty yeah. sure I predicted that one episode. So yes, yeah, yay me. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and what else we had? We had so they dragged to the mirror universe. We find out Captain Lorca is not who he says he is. He's actually the 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 mirror universe version of of, of Captain Lorca, uh, the Terran Captain Lorca. And he obviously he he quickly becomes uh, almost like a pantomime villain. I mean, I always said he was a bit weird and unhinged for a Starfleet captain, but then I grew to like that, and he just became this ridiculous evil caricature as soon as you know i think michael Byrne figured it out figured out his game um and it's just one twist after another and uh, they, they even used the terminology didn't they that he'd been grooming her yes so almost like almost like some sort of interdimensional woody allen or something yeah, oh yeah. my god did i did i go there did i say that this oh, is the problem this is the problem so so um for those who haven't seen it well i've we've sport it for you but there you go well, to, to woody, fan, woody allen fans out there <laughs> <laughs> we got to cut that bit out. Uh, uh, Mich- uh, Michelle Yeoh, um, who was um, uh, Captain um, George Al in the first couple of episodes, who then got killed, is alive in this mirror universe, and who is the em- the Empress, right? The Emperor. Um, and so that's the twist there, and we find out that she had a relationship with Lorca, and. Um, they raised much like Sarek raised um, uh, Burnham as his ward. They raised her in the same way, or the Mirror Universe uh, Burnham. And he, yeah, Lorca apparently um, groomed her and basically had his wicked way of her, had a relationship with her when she got old enough. Now, this is funny because um, they used the word groomed, they didn't have to use the word groomed. They could have said, well, you know, you took advantage of her or she fell for you and she was older. But using the word groomed with all of its connotations immediately makes the character irredeemable from my point of view. And it's quite funny because um, I was listening to another podcast, a Star Trek one, um, and they actually had Jason Isaacs on that. And they brought up that uh, they, brought, they brought up that. Well, what do you think? They why, why have they done this to the character? I mean, what, what, do you, what do you think? I mean, he's irredeemable now because you know they say he took advantage, and he's like, no, that's not how I interpreted it. Obviously, he waited till she was she was older, and then he obviously fell for her because she's gorgeous. And but no, they used the word groomed, and he's like, oh, I don't remember that. You don't remember that? They're quite really? clearly, yeah, that's what he said. And um, so uh, when that happened, I thought, well, that's it then. You know, I quite like this guy. I like this captain. As unhinged as he was, I liked him. And he's, there's no coming back from this. But he's dead now because they've killed him off. Um, we don't have a consistent captain. This is another problem with this show. There's no consistency. Um, characters are dying left, right and centre. We now have... So they're back from the Mirror Universe. And they've dragged back um, Emperor Georgia <laughs> uh, and Saru. Saru, the the the, the, uh, the 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 first the first officer, but it was the was the acting captain, wasn't he? And then now the now the latest twist is because um, the admiral's showing up again. I forget her name. Um, they've made yeah some sort of tactic against the Klingons. They've made um um the mirror universe uh, uh Georgel 
the captain of of the Discovery. I mean, it's just a complete mess. It's the most ridiculous twist out of all of them. That one, isn't it? Where they've made uh, Philip or George our captain again. By the way, why are admirals and Starfleet? Why are they always so arrogant? Incompetent, yeah. (laughs) Always, yeah. Yeah. uh, Running joke. Yeah, yeah. You're right. It, It went from being a series which we were enjoying and we were enjoying getting to know the crew and then first they killed that doctor who i thought was a good character and then they they've got this relationship going on between ash tyler and burnham and then that runs aground because he obviously as you said is a bit of both he's a he's a klingon masquerading as a human and he tried to kill her but then the whole crew forgives him so quickly and so easily almost as if they can take it as read that it wasn't his fault yet no one really knows the true level of how much it was diminished responsibility and how much it might have been you know maybe a repressed part of ash tyler coming through when he's going exactly he's been given freedom it's just nuts Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Just let him, you know, and not only that, but they were so affectionate and sweet with him. It's like, come on. And they've obviously done that because they don't want to deal with the issue of his reintegration into the crew. It's just going to take too much time and energy for the writers. So they've just thought, well, let's just have them all forgive him in this canteen moment. Uh, and then he, you know, then, then we don't have to deal with uh, deal with that. Um, well, I, so suspect, that- I suspect they're going to kill him off, by the way, um, because um, the actor who played who plays him said something about only being in a limited number of shows of episodes out, out of the series and i mean we've only got one episode left actually so i suspect that he'll make some sort of sacrifice and redeem himself um even in the next episode i reckon that's what's gonna happen yeah i mean but we've got to the stage now where it wouldn't shock us too much no matter who gets killed um because they've been pulling uh, shock twists out the woodwork, left, right, and centre, haven't they? And um, it's that's, almost that's, like yeah. we've just detached ourselves because we don't want to be hurt again when one of our favourite characters dies. Um, you, you just sort of sit there now and just let it happen. It's gone from being a surprising show to one that's just a little bit too contrived. And um, yeah, I much much prefer the vibe of a Star Trek where it's going along and they're having adventures, and we're getting to know the crew, and sure, kill one of them from time to time, like a Tasha Yar or whatever, okay. And when, when that happens, it's truly shocking. Truly. It doesn't become a, yeah. who's going to get killed this week, who's going to be captain this week. You go on a journey with them, that's the whole point, that, that you get to know the crew, you get to know the ship in many ways, and then every now and again, there's some sort of conflict, and some some you know some sort of challenge, and and that's, that's Star Trek, but this is just... It, I mean... Yeah. When we were kids and uh, Spock died at the end of the Wrath of Khan, it was a truly, truly traumatic thing, wasn't it? I don't know if you felt that way when you saw it as a kid. Oh, yeah. yeah. Listen, I wasn't crying, but I was certainly sitting there thinking, oh, my God, this isn't supposed to happen. This yeah, I think is, they can't do this. What? This, is, this is truly shocking. But obviously that, that changes because, you know, then Optimus Prime gets killed and Transformers the movie and then he gets brought back to life, not just once, but twice or, or thrice. Um, so you, you quickly get inured to this sort of thing. This sort of thing. But, um, yeah, you're right. I, I liked Lorca. I mean, he was a little bit like Kirk, wasn't he? He was kind of a maverick, but he always had the best best intentions at heart. Um, and then, yeah, they sort of paint him as this interdimensional 
Woody Allen. And by the way, you don't have to cut that out because I mean, look, you know, you look at his, you look at the fact of Woody Allen's life, and you know, need I say more? But um, yeah, and and then Philippa Georgiou, I mean, the one from the Terran universe, she's so despotic and evil. For them to even consider making a pact with her, I guess they've made a pact with her because she's got knowledge about Kronos that no one else has in that universe. And that's why maybe she demanded, you, you make me the captain of the ship. Um, that, that's, I'm sure, the reason that the writers will use. But it just would not happen in a million years. you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's silly. And um, I mean, part of the reason is they want to make all of this... Um they want to make this classified, all this information about them, Discovery going to this mirror universe. I mean, which I guess would fit in with the rest of Star Trek continuity wise, which is why you could argue when, uh, uh, gosh, what was the episode in the original series when they went to the, the mirror universe, which is why there was no knowledge of it then. There was um, always a mirror universe episode, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. So I guess that, 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 that solves a continuity issue. You know, it's all classified. So we've got this, we've got essentially got a version of Philippa Georgia on the ship. We need some sort of explanation. She was a captain. So, you know, I get that, but I don't know where they're going with this. But uh, I've got to be honest, mirror universes do my head in. When it, when it happened on the original series, um, I'm talking about the, the, the Kirk and Spock series, hmm. um, I, I thought it was amusing because I think they do like a Nazi-like salute, don't they? Yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Through on the other the ship which they then spoofed hilariously on on red dwarf i don't know if you ever saw red dwarf um so i I thought that was funny but then they kind of did an episode like that in the next generation i think that's the one where tasha yar comes back and Mm. actually ends up having a meaningful death um but they always do my head in because you sit there thinking oh mirror universe episode it's like in the transformers um, comic book continuity they call it that the mirror universe is called the shattered glass universe where you have like an evil Rodimus Prime who instead of being red and yellow he's black like, he might even have facial hair a robot with facial hair I know what uh, and, yeah, yeah I know and it, it's a little bit like do you remember the, the episode of Knight Rider where there was an evil Michael Knight and he was called Garth yeah yeah I remember that and he was exactly the same but he had a moustache <laughs> well, and I think they even send that up in Futurama when you've got evil Bender and he's, he's basically the same as Bender but he's got yeah. a soul patch under his slip <laughs> So it's been done so much and it's so kind of hackneyed and silly. And then with this, with, with Discovery, they've made it like the major event in the um, in the series. And I just don't like it. I'm like, come on, you could have done so much more. You could have, as we've said before, they could have set this in the future rather than set, setting it in the past. They could have just gone to new places, new things. And instead, they just seem to be falling back on... Um, things that have been done before it's just very disappointing so the situation we have now is that the um they they when they went back to um their own universe um they jumped ahead a little bit too far now when they first said that um what's his name said it was stamnus wasn't it when he said oh we jumped too far ahead i thought brilliant they've gone ahead hundreds of years we're gonna have a star trek set in the future like, you know, post next generation and it's all, exactly. and, and then they can go anywhere they want. Ah, oh, brilliant. This is going to be, no, or was it like nine weeks or something or nine months or what was it? Like, like that? Months, I think it was. Yeah. And like, really? <laughs> and then they said the Klingons are winning the war, which 
again presents a number of continuity issues so i have a sneaky suspicion this whole thing is going to be resolved through time travel yeah which is the easy way out um when they came back they were nine months too too far in time on the point where they were supposed to be and everything had gone to hell it kind of reminded me of back to the future too they go back to 1985 and like Biff has got his, his hotel casino, uh, his Trump Tower-esque hotel casino in the middle of Hill Valley. <laughs> it's like, no, oh, everything's broken, now they've got to fix it. And just Again, it's, it's contrived. We've seen that sort of twist before. Um, and you kind of just think there's so much potential for this show and they've lavished so much money on it. And a lot of the potential has been squandered. Uh, it's a real waste. That's what they should have done. They should have jumped ahead like way into the future it would be the next next generation and it would be about um um uh, essentially a starfleet vessel lost in time out of time out of time out of place in time that would have been interesting very interesting concept and yeah i think you mentioned that in a previous podcast didn't you that when they um jumped into another universe that you, you, for a moment you thought that's what was going to happen that it's going to be almost like a voyager-esque um, they're out of their own universe, out of their own time, and they're going ahead having adventures. A little bit like um, what is it? Like, like the the cartoon Dungeons and Dragons when the kids are uh, whisked away to another universe, and they're basically just trying to find their way home, and they're having adventures along the way while they're doing it. But that that sort of template was used by Voyager, wasn't it? And uh, I was like, well, I wouldn't mind them using it again for Discovery if it means them having new adventures and meeting new adversaries. But um, well, they decided not to go that way. Yeah, that's a shame. And, um, and so the, the, this last episode that was that was shown was a little bit slower than the other ones. So there was less sort of twists, twists and turns with that one. And there's one left, I believe. And I'm so I'm not sure how this thing's going to end. I mean, it's already been sort of Netflix already sort of agreed to uh, another series, right? Another season, so to speak. It's coming back, isn't it? Um, I I don't know for sure, but I would assume that based on the success of the series, that there's going to be a second series, and that it should be at least as long as the first one, if not longer. But how, how is success measured though for shows like this? Is it? It's obviously not based on ratings or even streams. It's going to be based on surely um, down, um, surely um, subscriptions. No, that, I'm sure they'll be able to measure that. I mean, that, that's one of the most important things to these companies, especially in the digital age, when, when it comes to big data and what have you. They'll be able to look at the spikes in, um, first of all, subscriptions to the, the platform in America, which um, is a CBS Prime or something, the mm -hmm. um, subscription platform. And then it was only on Netflix in the UK or Europe. Yeah. And then they'll also look at sort of the revenue of advertisers who might have advertised in and around this show. And they'll look at trending and all that sort of thing. And they'll be able to tell whether it was successful or not, I'm sure. I mean, we're in an age now where they're probably, you know, it's partly why the likes of your Facebooks are so lucrative, is that um, these things can be measured actually more, more detailed sort of depth than ever before so I, I would assume that wouldn't be a problem 
Actually, no, no, I've just Googled. They have actually picked it up. So CBS has renewed it for a second season. So, yeah, it's good. I mean, it's fun to have Star Trek back. I mean, as 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 far fetched as 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 it is now, and and, and it, it 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 is fun to have Star Trek back on TV, albeit not you know Netflix for us. Yeah, I would rather there be Star Trek. Um, I'm going to call it on TV uh, than not. But that nagging. Um, sort of disappointment that exists in us will always be there, won't it? Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I still look forward to watching a new episode, but I, I don't I don't rush home from work thinking, oh, it's Star Trek, right, or anything like that. Whereas I think when The Next Generation was at its peak and, and when Voyager was quite popular, I think people you know, across America and probably in the UK, they were kind of like pretty much rushing home thinking, oh, it's Tuesday or whatever, you know, Star Trek's on TV. Mm. Uh, and I think you had that probably in the 60s with the original series as well. I'm not sure this series has that same effect on people, but it's it's probably got very a very loyal following. Yeah. So what? So what? So what do you think? Um, I mean, where do you think it's headed, though? I mean, in terms of the the crew of this ship. I mean, so it gets picked up for a second season. That's fine. Um, they they. Um, neutralize the situation with, with with this kind of Klingon occupation that's taking place for all these sort of Federation outposts. So what what is it? What does the crew of Discovery look like? Where do you think they're going? Is it going to be Burnham in the captain's chair or what? I haven't got a clue. That's the that's the $64,000 question, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think your suspicions about them eradicating any continuity problems or having it having all the problems solved with a bit of time travel or maybe jumping into a fresh new universe or something. Um, probably the way they're going to go, what's going to happen after that? Who's who's actually going to be the captain of the ship and so on and so forth is anyone's guess. But I, I guess um, Michael Byrne and the main character for season one, they'll probably continue that there. I guess it makes sense to make her uh, the captain. But um, I think you mentioned this really when, when we were chatting offline that she's become a slightly dull yeah. character. I actually think there's much more potential in, there's much more potential in one or two of the other um, characters on the ship. So um, if they don't make the right decision where they take it in season two, it could lose them um, a few, a bit of interest. Well, that's the problem. There, there, there are uh, more interesting characters on, 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 you know, on the ship. And um, as soon as we get to know them, they kill them off. So that's the problem. But uh, yeah, we'll see. You know, I'll keep watching. It's nice to have Star Trek back, and um, I just—they just need to slow it down a little bit. Personally, I don't think audiences will mind. To be quite honest, I don't think audiences who are going out their way to tune into a Star Trek uh, show because I don't think any casuals are watching this. Well, there might be a few, but I, I don't get—I don't get that impression. I think it's generally um, Star Trek fans, and by Star Trek fans, I don't mean diehard Trekkies. I mean those who are familiar with the other uh, Star Trek uh, TV shows and and, um, and and maybe even the movies. Um, I think it's those who are watching it, really. And I, I just don't think they'll mind a slower pace. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As, as I said five minutes ago, I would not mind them slowing down and just having an adventure every week. Um, and that naturally will give us an opportunity to get to know the characters even more. I mean, the, um, the lady who... 
who I can't remember the character's name, the one who was like the, in the Turin universe, she was the, the captain. Oh, Tilly. The, yeah. Is that the character's name? Yeah. I, I think she's a really good character. I think she's a really good actress as well. It's, um, it's a kind of character you don't often see in TV series like this. She kind of comes across as someone you might be sitting next to in your office, you know, mm. the kind of personality that she's got, but she's also not stupid. You know, she's got, potential and she is quite intelligent and she sort of comes out with some really pithy on the nose kind of stuff and characters like that i mean they can explore them a little bit more and extrapolate on them and you know who knows maybe she gets the the captain's chair thrust upon her at some point and maybe now she realizes you know she can handle it because she saw her self doing it in the other universe or something like that would be a nice interesting twist you know an interesting direction to take it in so i hope they will yeah slow down and um maybe not worry so much about contrived twists to keep people on these cliffhangers to make sure they come back next month and they've got their subscription renewed you know i hope that's not the the motivating factor between them uh, as you say doing an m night Shyamalan every every episode i hope not but i suspect it is <laughs> okay so that's star trek and we're both going to keep watching i mean we're, we're, you know we're, let's not let's not lie let's not uh, mislead everyone we're, we're going to keep watching there's one episode left um and we'll, we'll see how this thing sort of wraps up i don't know when it's coming back though um i don't think they've given a date yet uh but um it's it's nice to know that it, it is coming back at some point well when you look at how long it takes them to produce a tv show with this kind of budget it, it might be some time we're waiting it might be year um could be yeah but then again i think maybe the gap between series back in i don't know the 80s and 90s for example next gen was the gap between series sort of eight months to a year or i, honestly, I, I honestly can't remember i mean we got a lot of the um we got a lot of, uh, of the next generation after the us did obviously it was it was a different time you know we, we got these things like a year later or so and um Obviously, we didn't have to wait as long. Um, I don't ever remember there being huge gaps, but then that could be my memory being, being a little bit hazy. Well, I think in this country, um, it was on Sky Television, which was uh, satellite only uh, in the 80s and early 90s. And I think it was... It's on every night, every night on Sky TV. So yeah, at that they, point, when Sky launched, it already had been on, obviously, but the, the fact that they could show it every night, it had obviously been on for a while in the States. Right. And it didn't come on to BBC Two until quite some time after, because I think Sky had sort of kept it to themselves, actually. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a funny thing. It's actually a, a TV show from the 80s, isn't it? Next Gen. But yeah. it's, not, it's not, not thought of in that way. People... When people talk about the 80s, you know, they talk about the A-Team and Miami Vice and, you know, Cheers and TV shows like this, you know, uh, The Wonder Years or The Golden Girls. They don't really say Star Trek Next Generation, but it is actually a product of the 80s. It is, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll we'll see what the next episode uh, brings to us. Um, So let's talk about the elephant in the room, and that's the trailer for Solo. what was oh, that? I thought you were going to mention The Darkest Hour. No, I wasn't. But uh, do you, um, um, should we talk about that first or should we talk about it afterwards? 
Well, we, we mentioned it briefly before the podcast started. Um, no, you, you haven't seen it, have you? I, I watched no, it. No, I haven't. So I that's, not, that's not my elephant in the room, but go ahead. Right. No, I, I just saw, I saw the trailer for it. And then I, um, the same friend of mine who had a, a copy of Thor, he, he somehow had, he was, he was watching Darkest Hour. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll sit down and watch this. It's a good opportunity to do so. Uh, I don't think it's, I think it's out of the cinemas at the moment. So, um, um, yeah, I, I, I generally don't ask him where he tends to dig up some of these films, but, um, it's, uh, it's just one of those funny things like you, you see this so often. It's a thoroughly mediocre film, which just happens to have, um, an excellent, excellent performance, um, at its center. And, um, for anyone who doesn't know, it's got Gary Oldman in it playing Winston Churchill. Mm. It's one of these films where you could have. You could have taken Gary Oldman out and put um, who's the guy who played Striker in X Men and, and played Hannibal Lecter in Manhunter, uh, Brian Cox is that his name? Brian Cox, yeah. Yeah, so so I think he played Churchill in a recent film as well. You could have pretty much cast Brian Cox in this film, and instead of having Kristen Scott Thomas as Churchill's wife, you know, you could have had Helen Mirren as Churchill's wife, and then instead of having um, is it Ben Mendelsohn who was in Rogue One? Uh, he he plays, uh, I think King Edward is it uh, the, one, the the king who used to stutter and stammer. Um, he yeah he he he's he plays the king George. Oh, was it George? Yeah, Liz, Lizzie's dad. Yeah, George, King George. Right, right, right. Thank yeah. you, And um, he sorry, I'm not up, up on my recent uh, uh, history of the monarchy. <laughs> and um, you know, instead of having Ben Mendelsohn, you could have had, could have had Colin Firth, right? It's one of those films where all those elements are interchangeable and it's, you know, it's your typical English jingoism. But of course, it's funded by American money, that film. I think it's a working title movie. Um, and it's been getting all the praise from all the usual critics. You know, if you pick up the Evening Standard or, or you listen to Mark Kermode or whatever, they're all giving it five stars. Don't be fooled by that, listeners. It's a thoroughly, thoroughly mediocre film, which um, has a very skewed point of view about uh, about the Second World War and about what was going on. Mm. Um, not, not that they're dishonest in this film, they just leave a lot of facts out which don't give you a proper context of what was actually going on um, around about the time Germany um, had invaded France and were trying to get over the channel into the UK. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an entertaining, watchable movie, but it, it's worth me just saying, Gary Oldman, he's not just good in it, he's unbelievably good. He really is as good as the hype. Well, he might as well, he might get his Oscar. Um, he's been nominated and he's cleaned up all the other major awards. Um, uh, you know, best actor for that movie for that role, and he's he's, he's a nominee, isn't he? he? He might well do. It makes you angry that he's been wasting his time for the last fifteen odd years, appearing in thoroughly mediocre movies and giving thoroughly phoned in kind of performances. I mean. Playing Jim Gordon in Batman, he does a good job, but anyone could have played that kind of part. You know, he wasn't stretching himself. No, 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 no. Um, it, it, it hurts that he's—I wouldn't say he squandered his talent, but he just doesn't seem to have challenged himself a lot over the last five, ten, fifteen years. In this film, he does challenge himself, and I've got to say, he's magnificent. His uh, the way he projects his voice, the way he looks, his mannerisms, like the, the prosthetics makeup on him is excellent. Um, the way he walks, everything. He's, he's he's more or less unrecognizable in the role. He is brilliant in it. And the guy who made it, I think his name is Joe Wright, I think. 
I think that might be the guy who directed Atonement, which is another pretty mediocre British, well, film with a largely British cast and crew and bent and setting. Mm. Uh, I'll give him credit for this. He he was intelligent enough to realise, you know what, there's real magic going on in front of the camera when Gary Oldman's in front of it. And so I'll just keep him virtually in every shot and in every scene. And if I can, I'll try and get him in close up or close up. And the director kind of he's intelligent enough, credit to him to do that. And he keeps and this this is this should give you a good idea of how good Gary Oldman is in this film. He ch- chews the scenery relentlessly. Yeah, so all our listeners will know what scenery, scenery chewing is. It's when an actor is basically just like grandstanding. Yeah, and, and and what have you. He's scenery chewing, and you don't mind. You want more of it. He's that good. So um, I think just critics maybe just jazzed off the back of seeing such a good performance. They've just run out and given this film five stars. It's not a five star film, but but he's excellent in it and. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a film I didn't expect to to have watched actually um, running up to this this podcast, but I thought since I've I've seen it, um, I'd uh, I'd mention it. So um, don't see it at the cinema. Uh, I'm I'm saying that both to you, John, but also to our listeners. It's not worth paying your hard-earned money to see it at the cinema. But uh, when it comes out on DVD or on television, it's worth watching then. Okay, it's the darkest hour. Um, it's probably going to have a little bit of an extended run in the cinema anyway because of, you know, the award season and, and what have you, and they tend to do that. But, um, yeah, no, I've, I'll, you know, I haven't got a burning desire to watch it, but you're right, I'll, I'll catch it on um, on TV or digital download or what have you. So I'll, I'll well, check it out then. But credit, 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 to, credit to a Londoner, a local lad, if you like, and Gary Oldman. There's not many actors mm. who can play Dracula, um, a, uh, a yardie uh, in True Romance. I think his name was Drexel Spivy, if I remember correctly. Um, an Irish gangster in State of Grace. Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald in JFK. Um, an English football hooligan in The Firm. And also Winston Churchill. And plays every single one of those roles equally as well. There's not many actors out there of any nationality who could do that? That's so um, he's a hell of a versatile. Gary Oldman, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, local lad done well, Mr. Oldman. We salute you. Good, good. Right. So now we can talk about the real elephant in the room. Yeah. Um, I think I'm. Let me guess. That wouldn't be the Han Solo uh, film, would it? Yeah, Solo, a Star Wars story, and I mean that with all the sarcasm in the world. The second. Disney spin-off Star Wars movie, the first being Rogue One, obviously. Um, The trailer was uh, broadcast, well, the teaser trailer was broadcast during the uh, Super Bowl. Um, Was that last weekend? I can't remember. Well, uh, wait wait a second. Um, Before we get into it, I I should just tell you, a really good friend of mine who I hadn't seen in a while, I, I went I went drinking with him actually uh, last week and he, he'd listened to a couple of our podcasts and and he he said he loved the podcast, blah, blah, blah. I don't think just blowing smoke up my backside, he really enjoyed it. <laughs> he did say that, he did say, uh, Bronson comes across as a little bit negative here and there. And I said to him, well, do you know what? Um, not really. We're, we're never negative. We really want to like all of this stuff we don't watch movies so that we can then go on a podcast and rant about them 
And um, I just want to certainly preface everything that I'm going to say about um, Solo um, with or, or Ranger Solo, as it's going to be called in China. <laughs> no mention of Star Wars in, in the title in China because the last Jedi flopped, of course. Uh, yeah. In that geography. So Ranger Solo, if you want to call it that. <laughs> Um, so I, I just want to say, I am inclined to be harsh on Star Wars when it's the saga films. I'm not so much on the spin-offs because for me, a film like Rogue One, which I really enjoyed, and you know what, I love Rogue One, I almost classify, I've said it before, as I, I classify it as the Clone Wars TV show or Star Wars Rebels, the cartoon, or the Marvel comics from the 80s. I almost class it as one of those spin-offs or, or even Caravan of Courage, the Ewok film, which, which is kind of terrible, but it's I I I'm looking at this the, the trailer that that you you're about to elaborate on. Uh, before I saw the trailer, I sat down and I thought, do you know what? I'm not that excited, but I'm not going to be that crestfallen if it don't look good because this Star Wars. And let's hope they they do a good job with this. That's where my mindset was. Now you, Jonathan, you've been just as disappointed by the direction Disney taking Star Wars in. What was your, what was your state of mind? What what was your mindset? Might be a better way to put it before you saw the trailer. I was questioning why this movie needs to exist, um, and although Ron Howard took over and, from what I hear, practically reshot the entire movie. Um, I knew exactly what we would get. It seems like Disney are only interested in remaking A New Hope time and time and time again. And I don't necessarily mean the um, the plot of A New Hope. I don't mean necessarily mean the structure of A New Hope. I mean the um, the, t- the 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 visual the visual style of A New Hope, the original trilogy. Um, they just want to regurgitate the same things. And as I said last time, there is almost like a checklist. Yeah, we've got to have Chewie, we've got to have the Millennium Falcon, we've got to have TIE Fighters, we've got to have X-Wings. It's got to be the old Star Wars trilogy. And and it's almost like Disney say, you can do what you want. Come and have a piece of Star Wars, everyone in Hollywood. As long as you check, check, you know, check off this list, you can do what you want. Now, it's interesting you're saying some of the feedback that we might be a bit negative. I don't think we're negative about Star Wars. I'm certainly not negative about Star Wars. Star Wars is very dear to me. It means a lot to me. That's why I I, I judge these things so harshly. Um, If I didn't care about Star Wars, I'd probably just shrug my shoulders and say, yeah, The Last Jedi was an entertaining enough movie. And this Han Solo movie looks entertaining enough. Yeah, maybe. But it's part of the Star Wars saga. Apparently, it's part of the Star Wars saga. And... Disney are just diluting it and diluting it and diluting it until it doesn't mean anything anymore. Until and I think this is happening already. Audiences are sick of Star Wars. Well, do you know what? This is this is a really sad state of affairs. Right? When for the first sort of 25, 30 years of my life, whenever I heard the Star Wars music, yeah, uh, the hairs on the back of my neck would stand up. Yeah, goosebumps. Yeah, and and I would I would turn around and I would think. Oh, Star Wars is on TV, or oh, Star Wars. Or, where's that music coming from? Or I'd be channel surfing on on the radio, uh, or bandwidth surfing, whatever, uh, in my car, and I'd flick it onto Classic FM, 
and the John Williams Star Wars theme or, or Yoda's theme or Leia's theme or something would, would start up on the radio and I'd get goosebumps. Now, a couple of days ago, I, that's my niece's birthday, by the way, tomorrow. Happy birthday to her. Happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, so a couple of days ago, I, um, I was in Toys R Us walking around. I thought I'd pick her up a couple of things. And um, Disney, the Disney Infinity kind of console game thing, Mm. which which I'm sure you you know what that is. Um, The Toys R Us, quite close to where I live, they have a display for that thing where you've kind of got a demo running on 24-7. And I was walking down the aisle and I heard Star Wars music and I knew straight away where it was coming from, the Disney Infinity display. And you know what? I sighed. I went, (laughs) that was my reaction. And I shocked myself. And this was before I saw figures of Constable Zuvio, the character from Force Awakens, priced at £2.49 in the reduced section. The Star Wars toys, I'm afraid to confirm, are basically fodder for the bargain buckets in toy shops. They never used to be. They never used to be. They always used to, Star Wars toys always with the quality control they had when Lucas was there. It was the creme de la creme. It was the granddaddy of boys' toys, of action figures. Listeners, you are finding this stuff now in the bargain bins. And there's mm. plenty of it that's been left over and which hasn't been bought. And that's heartbreaking. That is heartbreaking. That is heartbreaking. It's lost all its prestige as Star Wars. And so onto this trailer, I wasn't expecting much. And I didn't receive much. Um, <laughs> immediately, it felt like, oh, visually, it was New Hope. I mean, there was a few differences. You know, the Millennium Falcon seems to be shiny and new, but it's still the Millennium Falcon. I don't really care about Han Solo's story. I like Han Solo. I like Harrison Ford playing Han Solo. I, you know, I like the character. But let's face it, in terms of the Star Wars saga, Han Solo's not an important character. Not really. That might be a controversial comment. He's not. So I don't think I want to see a movie where Han Solo is not played by Harrison Ford, but Han Solo is not that much younger than he would be in The New Hope. He must be, what, in his 30-ish in The New Hope? Um, well, I, I, I'm going to beg to differ here because... Um I don't see it. I don't, I'm not really interested in his backstory. What? What? Why do we need to fill in all the gaps? I mean, that might, that might be true, but let me just in defense of Disney. I've got a feeling this film might have been made even if Lucas was still at the reins, because I do remember him saying that he was happy for spin-off movies to be made because there's such an appetite out there for the original trilogy characters. Um, so, in defense of you know Disney. Um, this is possibly something that was always on the cards. However, I I agree what you're saying. I can almost take it or leave it because we actually, as, as one uh, YouTube subscriber said in his, in the comments underneath the trailer, um, we don't need a new Han Solo young movie. Uh, we already got that. It was called A New Hope. <laughs> so, there you go. Exactly. Um, so that's that. That's a good point. But um, my the other point of view is. I remember some of the, the 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 comics, the Marvel comics that I that I've um, that were 
published in the early 80s and that I've read. I think I've read reprints of them. I think my brother's got a whole load of them. Um, there's stories in those where, where Han Solo goes off on adventures or by himself or with Leia in tow or whatever, and they're really enjoyable. And you think to yourself, well, if you can get some better writers, because the writing the quality of the writing wasn't that high on those comics, uh, with all due respect to, to the people that worked on them. Um, but I, I have always thought, you know, if you can get a couple of good writers, um, you might be able to make a, an entertaining 90-minute, two-hour caper, which is kind of what Rogue One was. It was a caperish kind of war movie, um, which I don't mind that that film exists. So I don't mind them doing that with with Han Solo, even though I fundamentally agree with you when I say I, I could take it or leave it. Okay. Okay. Now, Ron Howard's at the helm. He's a decent director. Okay. It seems like he's he was brought in to save this project. I'm not quite sure what was wrong with it before. I heard rumors that there was too much humor in there. I don't know. Um, so the, 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 the first issue we have with this is that Harrison Ford isn't playing Han Solo. And obviously, we, he can't play a young Han Solo, not now. Um, so we've got this new chap. Um, I'm hopefully I get his name right. It's Alden Enerich. Is that right? Alden Enerich. Uh, Alden, I was going to say Einreich. But... Pro- probably. I don't know. If I'm saying his name wrong, no disrespect. Because I tell you what, this guy has some balls. And I tell you why he has some balls. Because he knows full well that he is going to get compared to Harrison Ford. And that is unfair because he's not Harrison Ford and he doesn't have Harrison Ford's charisma and he can't really, he's damned if he doesn't, you know, he can't go into this doing an impression of Harrison Ford. He has to make Han Solo his own. But then if he does that, they're going to say, well, this character doesn't, this guy doesn't resemble Han Solo. So I feel for him. I really do. And and I I respect him for taking on the challenge. Yeah, we, I think we said this before, didn't we? He's, he's on a hiding to nothing, and I already feel sorry for him because I think he's going to get torn to shreds by certain fans. A little bit like a little bit like Hayden Christensen's been torn to shreds. Hayden Christensen isn't a bad actor, but I think some of the criticism he got for Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, I think it seriously affected his, not just affected his career, might even have affected his life a little bit, which, which is not nice. Well, he seemed okay. I mean, at Celebration, when, when, when they invited him, which was nice uh, um, last year, he seemed at peace with it. Um, but I, I, I think um, you're right. I think that was mainly because um, a, a, um, a vocal minority, I'm going to say minority, didn't want to see Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker, but Darth Vader was in their mind, humanized in any way whatsoever. And with Anakin, we saw someone who um, had insecurities, had vulnerabilities, who loved, and they didn't like that. They saw that as soft. They just wanted to see him wielding a lightsaber, being a badass, like those final, um, you know, three minutes or so of Rogue One. Uh, well, which, when, which, of course, misses the point. Yeah. Um, the whole story arc of that character is that he started off as, as, as pure goodness, didn't he, really, before becoming the devil incarnate. But you're right. It's not just that Han Solo is played originally by Harrison Ford. It's not just that Han Solo, sorry, that Harrison Ford is really uh, charismatic. Han Solo is, you see how I'm mixing the names up because they're almost, you can't separate them. Yeah. Harrison Ford is arguably the greatest leading man in action matinee blockbuster movies that there's ever been. So not just Star Wars, but 
obviously Indiana Jones. But also, if you look at a movie which is not supposed to be an action movie per se, something like Witness, but it, it's still a thriller and there's still action in it. And then you look at something like The Fugitive and then you look at Air Force One. He, um, there's no other way of putting this really. That guy is a mother-flipping legend. There's no other way of putting it. So for someone to try to emulate someone else who's got a perfect batting average virtually is, is, is unfair. But off the back of the trailer, and I'm, I'll, let me, apologies if I've jumped in a little bit. I, obviously, I, I'm sure you're going to tell me what, what you thought. And I, I know it's only two minutes, this trailer. But he, in that two minutes, every time he was on screen and he was talking and the expressions on his face, I just wasn't buying it. It was someone who kind of vaguely looks like Harrison Ford. He's got that haircut. They've obviously done that. But nothing else about him screen, screamed Han Solo. And I thought to myself, am I just being really nitpicking here because it's, you know, it's only two minutes and got to see the whole film? And I thought, no, not really, because they're selling the film off the back of this two minutes. And everything they put in this trailer should really be gold because they want us to be on side, surely. And then I thought, Am I being harsh because it's difficult to get someone who can emulate Harrison Ford? Or, or, or have they just botched the casting? Then I thought, well, hang on. Indiana Jones. Okay, The Last Crusade. The first 15 minutes. River Phoenix. Can you believe that River Phoenix grows up into Harrison Ford? Yes, 100. Well, 95, 100%. I, I could. At the time, I thought, yeah, I totally buy that. So... Can you buy that Robert De Niro grows up into Marlon Brando when you see him in Godfather Part Two? Yes, hundred and ten percent. That's that's the, the genius of what Coppola and De Niro did there. Um, can you believe that Ewan McGregor grows up into Alec Guinness? Well, well, yeah, they they handled that pretty well, didn't they? With the way he physically changes over the three films and the prequels, um, the kind of performance that Ewan McGregor is giving, which is. Uh, a little it's a hybrid of an impersonation of Alec Guinness, but also him giving his own performance off the back of these two minutes. Can you imagine that guy in that trailer growing up into Han Solo that we know and love? And I'm sorry, off the back of those two minutes, no, yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, but again, I must stress it, this is not his fault because I feel like that's how we were going to feel about it anyway. Um, it's this is what I felt when I watched when I watched the trailer. It felt like a fan film. You're right. It felt like there was this this guy who was playing Han Solo. Um, it didn't quite feel um, legitimate. Let's just say the whole thing thing felt like a um, um, a high budget fan a fan movie, um, and it, it it just didn't feel like Star Wars. I mean, yeah, you can see Chewie, yeah, you see the Falcon. It didn't feel like legitimate Star Wars. And I think this is a big concern for Disney. I think Disney are still a little bit shaken by the negative um, reaction that The Last Jedi has received from audiences. And there was a bit of damage control today. I don't know if you noticed, it was reported in the press how um, this this story was 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 fed to the press by Dis the Disney machine. Obviously, how um, you know Harrison Ford has given this young actor his um, his, his his approval and his blessing, so to speak, because they're now saying that um, 
you know, he spent some time with him and gave him some tips about how to play the character and gave him tips about how George told him, you know, George Lucas, when, when, when Harrison Ford did the original trilogy, told him to approach the character. And um, apparently, I'm quoting, this is what Harrison Ford told this, this, this young guy, tell them that I told you everything you needed to know and that you can't tell anyone. So obviously they're saying, well, what did he tell you? I can't say, out of respect for Harrison Ford, says this um, Alden. Um, and um, obviously Kathleen Kennedy's sticking an oar in saying that, oh, you know, he found uh, Harrison Ford's insights really, really helpful. But, you know, obviously it was a private conversation. They can't say, I mean, I don't buy this at all. Do you buy any of that nonsense? No, as you just said, it sounds like damage control. And uh, this is the same lady who uh, was it at Celebration where she said that when people were hearing um, concern about how much of a role Luke Skywalker was going to have in The Last Jedi. And she said, she, she jumped in, didn't she? And she said, you guys are going to be blown away because Luke Skywalker in this film is awesome. She said something like that. Something like that, yeah. yeah. You could just, you know, it was cringeworthy. You could just see the, uh, um, the insincerity and the fear on her face. It was like spoken like a proper corporate suit, wasn't it? And um, yeah, they, I think they're just going into damage control. Um, I mean, when I saw the trailer the other day on YouTube, I went straight away. I looked at the like dislike thing with the thumbs up, thumbs down. I think it had, when I looked at it, about 107,000 thumbs up. And then it had about 9,000 thumbs down. That kind of proportion is really strange because for a Star Wars trailer, it's usually like 100,000 people give it the thumbs up and you usually get a few hundred mm. give giving it the thumbs down and, and you just figure those few hundred are probably not even Star Wars fans. Yeah. That's how it kind of used to be. But I thought, hang on, this is kind of reminiscent of that female Ghostbusters movie. I, sh I shouldn't call it that. I should call it the Paul Feig Ghostbusters movie. It was, it was terrible because he made it, not because it had female Ghostbusters. Um, but that had some real negative, uh, um, feedback on like YouTube. And, um, I, I noticed that for the, the Han Solo movie. So I thought, you know, some people are starting to possibly wake up and, and realize that it's kind of become this soulless kind of thing because of what Disney have done to it. It's going to flop. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm calling it right now. This movie is going to flop. It's going to flop much harder than The Last Jedi did, which <laughs> might not seem like it flopped, but apparently it did. Um, and well, that's another story in itself because yeah. um, for, for every um, article in 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 a publication saying that um comparatively speaking disney should be worried about the commercials behind the um the last jedi and then you, almost like within a day you see an article come out from uh, a news outlet which is either wholly or partly owned by disney and you, and you see a an article saying how the last jedi has been a roaring success yeah exactly uh, yeah uh, it, it, it it this one uh, solo Star Wars movie is gonna is gonna bomb. I think I have no desire to watch this at the cinema, none at all. I'm telling you that right now. Really? Un unless someone takes me out, buys me a steak dinner, and gives me a nice bottle of wine, plies me with alcohol, then I might go along with them to watch the movie. But I have no desire to watch that film. I well, am bored. I am bored. Don't look at me, pal, for a steak dinner and. Uh... 
Then I seriously, I, I, I'm done. I am so bored. I, I, I cannot be bothered to watch this thing. When it's on TV, I'll pick it up there, but I can't be bothered. As much respect as I have for Ron Howard, I, 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 I just, I, I just don't like what Disney are doing to Star Wars. And um, so, well, just for our amusement, let's just tick off the uh, the Disney checklist. So there was a shot of a star destroyer in there. Check. Yep. The Millennium Falcon was in there, interior and exterior, check. Yep. Chewie yep. was in there, check. Um, some TIE bombers, I think they were, weren't they? Um, uh, TIE fighters, TIE bombers, the same thing, tomato, tomato, um, check. Uh, complete absence of significant-looking alien characters, check. Oh, yeah, yeah. All, all the peripheral roles, uh, you know, humans, even that, that woman in that exotic place dancing, obviously it's a... It's an actress, wasn't it? Um, check. And then here's the other thing which made me laugh is um, part of this checklist seems to be white English leading lady. English, British, I mean. So I don't know why exactly this is happening, but you notice how in Beauty... Who are you referring to in this? The media clerk? Yeah, isn't she English? You know, I don't know. I think she's, she's the lady from uh, Game of Thrones, right? And, and that is, really yeah. film, right? Oh okay. yeah, she is. She's indeed a British actress. She was born right. in London, grew up. Yeah, okay. Okay, so, so 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 just just back up a bit and just have a little think, yeah. Beauty and the Beast, yeah. Emma Watson. Yep. Yeah, English, white English leading lady. Uh, was it Cinderella where they had Lily James out of Downton Abbey? I'm not white sure. White leading lady. Yeah. Mm. I either cinderella or sleeping beauty the other live action disney film okay she by the way she was in darkest hour as well she she's reasonably good in that um daisy ridley yep white english leading lady um rogue one uh what was that felicity jones is that correct white leading actress and now you've got emilia clark uh what's going on here you're so, right, it's a bit of a pattern there, isn't there? So here's my theory. I think that American producers believe that suburban white American girls aspire to be as polished and clipped and as graceful as the kind of hypothetical, polished, clipped, classy English girl. I, I think they believe that there's a demographic that aspires to be like that and they've gone for it. You know how you know how you see a pattern of casting sometimes? Like in Hollywood's golden era, you, you had two or three different types of leading men. You had like really good looking types like Tyrone Power. You had your beefcakes like Rock Hudson. You know, it doesn't matter that he was gay. You know, he's a, he was a big leading man. Then you had your your American Norman Rockwellian type father next door. That was either Henry Fonda or James Stewart. Yeah, mm. there's types, aren't there? And then uh, and with the actresses also, you had the wholesome ones, and then you had the more um, sort of uh, risque, kind of noir, kind of cheap ones, if you like. Okay, now you fast forward to the seventies. Yeah. Hollywood leading men, they were unconventional because they were supposed to look like ordinary blokes on the street. De Niro, Hoffman, Pacino, Hackman, all those guys, yeah? Jack yep. Nicholson. Yep, yep. All thoroughly ordinary looking. Okay. So sometimes when you see trends happen, you can understand why because there's a movement in a direction. 
or there's a perception about what's required. I was just thinking the other day, what is it with white English leading actresses, which is so in vogue right now? Don't they have good enough actresses who are American who can fill these roles? Or is it just because they're looking to get an English-speaking character in each of these Star Wars films who isn't a baddie? I think, obviously- I think that might be it. It might be as simple as that. I mean, you're right. It's an interesting pattern. It's an interesting theory that you have. Um, just made me thorough. Like, we are in Disney Star Wars territory. When I saw her in that, when she says that line, uh, I, I know who you really are, or something like that. She says that to Han Solo, doesn't she? And I was like, oh, here we are. <laughs> Definitely in Disney Star Wars territory. And then Alden, I'm not going to try saying his surname again, he, he turns around and just gives that completely uncharismatic response. And they linger on him for half a second too long as well. And poor guy. <laughs> poor guy. No, I feel for him. I feel for him. And who else is in that trailer? So we've got, the, um, we've got young Lando played by uh, that chap. Uh, uh, gosh, what's his name again? Donald Glover. Um, yeah. And um, you've got Woody Harrison. <laughs> Which which just takes you right out of the movie as soon as you see him uh, playing. I don't know who, what the name is. Character, some sort of mentor to Han Solo, apparently. Yeah, I don't really understand that casting, even though I like Woody Harrelson. Yeah, and so I mean, it just seems the whole thing just. I can't be bothered to be quite honest. I tell you what, Bronson, um, you go see it and let us know how it is. Mm. I'm, I probably will see it at the cinema, but I won't. You know how we? I think we've we've seen films and Star Wars films in the past at the IMAX or on the super screen at one of these cinemas. You know, at night, you know, when it's buzzing. I'm just gonna take my nephew and niece round the corner to the Cineworld, five pounds, six pounds for a ticket, whatever it might be, and I'm just gonna say to them, don't even buy, bother buying popcorn. In and out in two hours. <laughs> just go. I'll, I'll watch it like that. All right, then you're going to own one, own a proper movie that actually want, they'll want to sit through and watch. But there you go. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's May. It's, for those of you interested, it's it's released in May, uh, May this year. So, um, yay, Han Solo movie. Well, did you not? Um, you know, it's also just worth saying. Sometimes when you see a character being played by another actor, you kind of see even within one scene or one line of dialogue, you can usually say, yeah, he's captured the essence of that character. Mm. Um, you didn't get that sense at all in that trailer. Like when Donald Glover's on screen, you didn't think there's Lando. You just sort of thought, okay, there's some dude. And then... <laughs> well, to, be, to be honest, I'll, I'll be absolutely honest. My, thought, my thoughts, my immediate thoughts were, he could pass for Lando. That, 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 that was the first thoughts that entered my head when I saw him for that. Was it brief? Was it two seconds, three seconds on, on screen? Yeah, did you? I, I didn't. I, I thought, well, he, he, there's nothing about him that says uh, Lando to me. That's what I thought. Yeah. Obviously, it might be a character who develops later on life into the guy we meet on Bespin, but it might have been a good idea for them to at least endow him with something which made us think Lando either a cheeky smile or a cape or well, he does give uh, a cheeky smile in the in the uh, longer trailer it, uh, it's not it's not a smooth kind of no, it's, not, uh, it's not being the Williams special no no it's not it's, like, it's the guy from Spider-Man Homecoming who gets stuck to the car giving a smile that's what that was you know it wasn't <laughs> just no you know it wasn't Lando in any way shape or form I know I know what everyone out there who's listening to this is thinking guys it's only a two minute trailer you're judging it too much maybe we are but 
it's their responsibility to sell this film to us in two minutes. Exactly. And they didn't do it. Last Jedi. (laughs) They didn't do it. You're right. They didn't do it. Um, Just one final thing I want to mention. Uh, Let's move away from the trailer. So Star Wars has been sort of passed around to anyone in Hollywood who's half interested. Right. Anyone's half interested. And, And Ryan Johnson, who, you know, makes made a pig's ear out of The Last Jedi has got it has been given the go ahead to make his own trilogy. Not anything to do with the Skywalkers whatsoever. The Skywalker saga, just his own trilogy in the Star Wars universe, which no one will see. I'm sure no one's going to be interested in that. But the announcement this week is that the uh, the two creators of Game of Thrones have been uh, given the go ahead to produce a series of Star Wars films. What do you think of that? Yeah. Um, okay. So I don't like Game of Thrones. Nor do I. But I can- but I've never watched an episode from start to finish of Game of Thrones. So I've got to be careful that I don't come across as too presumptuous here because obviously I can't criticize GOT. They, they will hunt you down, Bronson. The Game of Thrones fans will hunt you down. Just be careful what you say. All right, really, are they that militant? They are, yeah. So um, I'm not a big fan of Lord of the Rings. I watched those movies uh, when they came out, but... Like, for example, I, I know people, like my brother and sister, they're massively into it, Lord of the Rings and, and stuff like that, fantasy, with dwarves and elves and dragons and all that stuff. For me, I find it all very regressive. Um, I'm, I'm not really interested, uh, maybe from time to time, but definitely couldn't do it as a TV show. And I very much, from the snippets I've seen of Game of Thrones, I, I get the impression it's kind of like Lord of the Rings on TV, but with more sex and violence. Yep. And, and it's more extreme. Absolutely. So, I'm possibly not a million miles away in my assumptions there. So um, it's a phenomenon. I know it is. Not one that I don't think I could ever get into. When I saw the news flash up that they'd been given the keys to Star Wars, my heart sank. But then I thought, well, actually, I've never watched Game of Thrones, so I, I don't need to have that reaction. Let's just wait and see what happens. But it does smack of... Um, They've just looked at a list of people they could give the keys to to Star Wars to, and they've just thought, why not these? These guys, they are a phenomenon. They've created a phenomenon. They obviously know what they're doing, and um, you know, let's uh, let's go ahead and look. It'd be interesting to see what their trilogy is about. Um, but it wasn't something which uh, got me excited. It, it had me more nervous than anything. But let me ask you a question have you ever watched uh, an episode of game of thrones from start to finish um yes um i i did try to get into it is that because curiosity got the better of you or no. you were well, gonna, I, I heard or you hype. a serious attempt to get into it i heard a lot of hype behind it and i tried to watch it once or twice when it's on TV and I was bored to death. Um, I then um, see my other half who's probably listen, listen to this at some point. She likes it. She's a fan of it. And I normally let us, I, I normally force her to sit through all sorts of stuff that I like. And so there was a couple of attempts to what, you know, try and sell me by watching some epic battle or, or whatever. And she had queued up and I'm just rolling my eyes really at it. And I can't. I can't what, pretend did, that I like Game of Thrones. Did, did it look like one of those TV shows that you used to see on the Sci-Fi Channel, but with a bigger budget? 
But yeah, that's actually a good description. And it's just formulaic. It's the same old nonsense. Rinse and repeat. Battles, battles, battles. And stupid monologues. And and unnecessary sex scenes. And it, it, I just don't see what the appeal is, to be quite honest. Mm. Well, you know, if it was up to me to make a Star Wars trilogy, I'd probably make something set several millennia before A New Hope and have maybe an era where the Jedi are thriving. Knights of the Old Republic. Something like that, you know, and maybe have like a Sith army trying to subjugate um, a, a planet and, and and one of the families on this planet, a father and a, uh, and his sons who are all Jedi, they rebel. I'd, I'd create something like that. Yeah, but then that, 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 the checklist, the checklist, Bronson, the checklist that Disney have, that, that's not going to work, is it? Yeah, exactly. They they don't really believe in imagination anymore. Um, who knows, maybe if I uh, make one of the leading ladies an English white leading lady and maybe just uh, I don't know, chuck a cameo in there from Yoda because he's time-travelled. <laughs> 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 or something maybe maybe the Kathleen Kennedy will give me the opportunity. You know, uh, the other day I was just watching the, the last five minutes of Shinda's List, which is an excellent film, and then obviously the credits come up and and her name comes up. She has been a producer on so many excellent films. Yep, and it just makes it even more galling that she's making such a pig's ear, as you say, Star Wars. Well, she's, just, she's running Lucasfilm. That's the thing. So, so, so she's running Lucasfilm now, and she's approaching this as a businesswoman. So, yeah, well, that's the thing. That's the thing. It's obvious now that her involvement with all those Spielberg and Lucas movies was purely a commercial, a commercial kind of logistic, kind of practical involvement. It wasn't creative in the slightest. No, because it's obvious when it comes to the creative side of things, she ain't got a clue. So. Um, I mean, I think Lucas was probably thinking some of that creativity from Stephen and me must have rubbed off on her, and it clearly hasn't because I think she's more interested in counting beans and looking at her bank balance than she is. Um, because let's face it, I, I don't know if you agree with me, in 100 years when people are doing a course, like they do a course on, on Shakespeare or, or, or a module on Shakespeare in school or university, I, I think they're going to look at Star Wars like that you know, in the future, they'll look back on it. But it will come to a time where cinema is no longer a dominant um, medium, but they will study some of the more important texts from the medium. And I think Star Wars will probably be one of the premier texts that is studied along with The Godfather and some other more obvious examples. And I think she'll be a horrible little footnote in that course where they'll say, and this is the woman who came along and ruined it and started milking it for money. Um, and, and it was just the, the first six films that we're going to children. It's just the first six films, uh, that you're going to be tested on at the end of this module because, uh, the rest of it's uh, nonsense. So, so let's just study the, the first six and, uh, they might even do a side module on caravan of courage, uh, cause Lucas had some input in it, but they won't be doing any modules on Ranger solo. I can tell you that. It's weird. It's strange. Cause my son who, you know, my son's 11. He's rejected the new films. He doesn't consider them canon, so to speak. Um, it's episodes one to six for him, really. I mean, he's seen the other ones. Obviously, he's, he's enthusiastic about Star Wars, but he doesn't. he's not fond of the new ones at all. But is that, know, be honest, is that because you're in his ear? No. Or is that... No, I've, I've seen his reaction. I, I, I saw his reaction when he saw... Um, what's it called? Forgetting the 
Force Awakens and I saw his reaction to The Last Jedi. Um, he's very fond of... Um, I've noticed this. He hasn't told me this in so many words. Of, in terms of the new characters of Finn, I give him that. Um, and bless him, why not? Um, but um, yeah, they just don't seem to hold much value to him, I don't think. Um, but you know what? Disney um, are going to keep churning these out because they're all about making money. But apparently, called the Business Insider, as of December last year, they made their money back that they paid for Star Wars. They've made four billion already. Is that purely in profit they've made back? Because obviously the profit from movies is shared with the people who own the theatres and you have to deduct what you spend on promotion and all that. So it has to be pure profit, like the operating income, yeah? I mean, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Uh, It could be in revenue because Rogue One made a billion, didn't it? Um, More than a billion. Uh, Last Jedi made about 1.2, 1.3 billion. This is dollars. And Force Awakens made over two billion, so that's well, that's four and a half billion in revenue. I bet that's, that's what they're talking about. They're saying Force Awakens, Rogue One, and the Last Jedi um, combined have surpassed the four point zero six billion price tag. Uh, okay, so that, that's probably what they were saying. And the revenue, yeah, generated is is now has now surpassed what they paid for it. But obviously, I would I would suggest the operating income is probably half that. So, which is still pretty good. You know, they're well on course, aren't they? If they've made two billion in profit. That you know, if, if, and the merchandising and all that sort of stuff that goes with it, you know, yeah, it, it, they're, they're, well, they're there. Just about to, that's that's an excellent point. I was just about to say, if you factor in all the auxiliary sort of uh, rights and the paraphernalia and everything, and God knows how many sponsor sponsors have jumped on the back of Star Wars, maybe they have made a profit of four billion dollars already. I, I wouldn't put it past them because it is that kind of cash cow, but. The pile them high kind of try and sell them expensive kind of approach to the paraphernalia has also, as I just said, resulted in all of this Star Wars stuff lying in um, bargain buckets in toy shops. And I just it hurts me to see that because the word you used earlier is the perfect one. Star Wars used to have prestige, which it doesn't now. Star Wars is just something that, like I said, it makes me blow my cheeks out when I hear the... Um, the theme behind me, uh, whereas it used to used to give me goosebumps, it doesn't now, unfortunately. And that's sad. And ironically, we've finished on the negative note, but I promise maybe the next time we talk, we've got something interesting to talk about, something we're both enthusiastic about, and, and we can give a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, respect. Well, it. I'm gonna I'm gonna for the friend of mine who, um, if he listens to this podcast. And he said one of our previous podcasts that here and there was a little bit maybe came across negative to him. Um, I will I will watch uh, Ranger Solo, and uh, hopefully it's a good film. And I'll come back with a glowing review because, like I said, we're not here to be haters. I want that film to be really good. I mean, there's there's things in the trailer I like. By the way, I should mention that kind of train, which was um, like obviously a twist on a on a on the kind of train you'd see on Earth. It was kind of like on both sides of the track, wasn't it? It was twisting around. Yeah. That kind of looked that that looked awesome. The effects didn't look compromised and cheap. The effects looked like the supervisors working on the film were were the top guys, um, and um, some of the shots, the composition of the shots was was really good. So you know, it, it wasn't all bad. But you probably summed it up in a way when you said that it looked like a fan film with a budget 
Yeah. And if if that's how it turns out, if if, I, if I'm sitting there for two hours watching a um, a fan film, that's going to be uh, really disappointing. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll we'll, we'll stay open minded. I've already said I'm not going to see it, but we'll, we'll. I look forward to what to your uh, your impressions come May. Let us keep our fingers crossed. Awesome. Okay, Bronson. Um, I think that's it for this episode. We're, we're running out of time now. Um, so let's wrap things up. Thanks again for joining us. It's always be always good when you're here. No, thank you. And uh, it's uh, it's nice to be back and nice to get a few things off my chest. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Um, okay, well, thanks everyone for listening. Um, and um, just a quick reminder: if you haven't uh, yet subscribed to the podcast. Uh, you can find instructions to do so on our website, which is intersectioncast.com. We're listed on all major podcast directories, uh, such as iTunes or on TuneIn Radio. If you prefer to use social media to be informed on when new episodes have been published, you can do so on Facebook. Uh, you'll find us at facebook.com slash intersectioncast, or you'll find us on Twitter, the account at Let's Intersect. If you've got any feedback, um, any questions, anything, any suggestions or things you might want us to cover in future, uh, drop us an email. Our email address is feedback at intersectioncast.com. And you can use that same email address uh, to reach out to us on Skype and leave us a Skype voicemail. So once again, thank you very much, Bronson. And thank you all for listening to The Intersection. And until the next time, that's a wrap. the intersection. intersection.